morning, everyone. It's um, a pleasure to be able to share with you this morning. Um, my name's Marshall. I'm uh, one of the pastors here uh, at Southwest, and um, yeah, it's uh, uh, especially if you're new, I welcome you, and it's it's great to see you all here this morning. Well, last Saturday, um, as usual, I drove to one of my favourite running places to go for my Saturday morning run. Uh, I went to Croydon Park and uh, if you've ever seen the bike path you know <clears throat> it's a nice flat bike path along by the Cooks River. Uh, I like that path because it's pretty flat, it's not on the road, I don't have to fight the traffic uh, and, and um, so it's nice and quiet. But this Saturday when I came to the bridge under Canterbury Road it was blocked off, I couldn't get through. Uh, there was a detour. They were doing some sort of work. So I had to take a pretty big detour that was a pain because I had to go up hills, down hills. I had to cross Canterbury Road, traffic lights. I had to fight traffic. I eventually got to where I was going, where I wanted to go, but not the way that I wanted to get there. The detour was a solution to the path being blocked. But it's only meant to ever be a temporary solution. Uh, and not a very good one at that. It's not meant to be forever. Well, maybe you can't relate to that story if you're not a runner, but perhaps you can relate to going through roadblocks. You know how you have to slow down for a 40k zone. You're cruising along happily along the M5 or wherever it is doing 100 when suddenly you hit a work zone and you've got to crawl uh, at 40. Um, and it's a, it's a pain, right? And especially when there's no work happening. Have you, that ever happened? You, it's like a Saturday and it's still in uh, 40, 40 Ks is still in force and you wonder why on earth do we have to do this? There's no one around working. But you've still got to do it. They're a pain while they last, but roadworks are also only meant to be temporary. They're in place until a permanent road can be made or fixed up. Well, in today's passage, the author is showing us that the old system of the sacrifices is a bit like that 40k zone in the roadworks. It's only meant to be temporary. And those sacrifices never did the job completely. And so a better sacrifice had to come that makes people perfect and that lasts forever. The old sacrifices and the law was left behind and they were always just a shadow. Sorry, the, the Old Testament and the law behind them was always just a shadow of the real thing that was to come. They were only ever a temporary fix and they only ever managed to bring incomplete cleansing to the people who made the sacrifices. But as we've seen before in Hebrews... Jesus is the real thing. He is the better, perfect sacrifice because he gave his own body willingly and his sacrifice makes us perfect for all time. And we'll see that Jesus is the promised one who will come, the Messiah, the rescuing king who is the climax of God's plan that is right through the Bible. The plan for a holy God to live with an unholy people. So that's where we're going today. Why don't you pray with me as we come to God's word. 
Father, we thank you for this book of Hebrews and the rich message of a better and more perfect sacrifice. Uh, the, the message of the climax uh, of the whole Bible that is found in Jesus dying for us on the cross. Father, we pray that you would today help us to listen and understand, to take it in and see how uh, it, it applies to our life. May it change us and change us profoundly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I've noticed before, noted before that the book of Hebrews often sounds repetitive, right? Uh, and so you'll probably notice that we're going over stuff today that you've probably heard before if you've been here with us in previous weeks. Things like the law being a shadow of the real thing. Jesus being the perfect sacrifice. It's stuff that's come up before in Hebrews. But I ask you to stay with me. Yes, it is repeating these same themes, but it's a bit like a piece of classical music. I don't know if you're into classical music, and, and I'm not pretending to be cultured in any way. I'm a bit of a bogan. Uh, I don't know much about classical music, but I've heard that often a theme will be repeated. Um, but each time there's something added to the theme. It's kind of like there's a layer of richness as you appreciate the familiar and the variation building on the familiar. Well, Hebrews is a bit like that. It builds and builds on the theme of the shadow and the per perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And we have to actually have to hear it again and again repeated to let that richness sink in. But at the same time, in the, and, and in this chapter, we'll see that the author brings new things into the message. And he brings everything together uh, by the end of our passage to a conclusion and a climax. And so he begins with a familiar in our first section that uh, the Old Testament law was a shadow that's only temporary. And we see it in verse 1. The law is a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the reality themselves. We've seen this before, haven't we, in Hebrews, that the law that God gave to Moses, uh, to the people through Moses, and its system of sacrifices in the tabernacle was never meant to be the end of the road. They were like a giant signpost pointing towards something better. And here we move on to something that's been touched on before, but not fleshed out. And that is that the old sacrifices had a limited use-by date. A bit like a COVID booster. You know when you go to your, get your COVID booster, you know that they're only going to be effective for a while. Um, for a period we were being encouraged to get COVID boosters every six months. So they're only effective for that short time. And so the sacrifices were only effective for a time. And then they could only make people clean on the outside. They never did the job completely. And that's there in verse 1 as well. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. They're only temporary 
and they could never do the job completely. In verse 3, we told that an animal had to be sacrificed annually as a reminder for people's sins because, verse 4, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's the issue. Impossible for the animals to actually take away sins. What this is saying is that if you're an Israelite, each time you took a bull or a goat to the priest in the tabernacle to be sacrificed, you would have been reminded that the animal doesn't actually make you right with God. Your sin is real. It's still a problem. Somehow God needs to do something to make you right before him. The fact that every year you have to kill another animal, one of your own animals, is a very graphic lesson to show you that your sin never stops being a problem. And so these sacrifices were meant to show the people that something more was needed, something better was needed, a more perfect sacrifice that would deal completely with their sin, not just one that was temporary that would make them clean on the, on the outside, but one that would make them clean on the inside as well. And that's what the writer says that Jesus brought in verses 5 to 10. And that's our second point, is that Jesus brought a sacrifice that's forever. A sacrifice that lasts forever. Jump down with me to verse 10. And by that will, the will of God to have Jesus, his son, die on the cross. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That will is talking about God's will and Jesus willingly obeying by sacrificing his own body. A sacrifice that was for all time, once for all. And for all people. The animals had to be continually killed year after year because they never completely did the job of paying for our sin. But Jesus only needed to die once because what he did was forever. It was enough. Enough to pay for our sin and to do it for all time completely. And notice that it was for all, for the sins of not just you and I, but for the sins of the whole world. So his death is a perfect one because it covers everyone without limit, without time limit, and without limit on the number of people that it covers. He does the job completely. It's the real thing that cleanses us. That brings complete forgiveness. And then there's another way that Jesus' sacrifice is different. And this is something new that we haven't seen before in Hebrews. We touched on it a moment ago in verse 10. And that is that Jesus' sacrifice was given willingly. Three times we told in verses 7, verse 9 and verse 10 that it is by God's will that Jesus died. Quoting from Psalm 40, the author says that it is Jesus who says, 
in verse 7, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. It was God's will that Jesus became our perfect sacrifice when he died on the cross. But equally, at the same time, Jesus willingly obeyed. He willingly chose to go down that difficult, pain-filled road that ended in his death. And the picture we get from quoting Psalm 40 is that this was God's plan all along. Because Psalm 40 is from the Old Testament, written many hundreds of years before Jesus came. And it's showing us that way back then, God had all this planned out. That his son would be the perfect sacrifice for us. So that people throughout history in the Old Testament and the New Testament times could live with our holy God. Friends, I just want to pause for a moment and think about what that means for us. That it was God's will that Jesus died for you. That Jesus willingly went to the cross for your sake. See, contrast with the, with the Old Testament sacrifices, the animals that were sacrificed had no say in it, did they? In fact, you can bet that if they had any inkling about what was coming, they wouldn't have willingly let themselves be killed. But killed they were, and the people had to trust that their blood did the job. But for us, it's different because we can put our trust in someone who willingly, stubbornly, steadfastly set his face towards the cross from the moment he understood why he came to earth. Now I want to talk to you for a moment if you aren't yet a believer, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you're struggling to think through what it means that Jesus died for you. And perhaps you're thinking, well, how, how do I know that Jesus' sacrifice is enough for me? You might be thinking, I've done a lot of stuff that I'm actually really ashamed of. And I can't really even forgive myself. Let alone, how is a holy God going to welcome me and forgive me? Well, the answer is because Jesus was willing to go to the unimaginably extreme lengths of sacrificing his only, only son for you. Not as an afterthought, but this was his plan A all along from the very beginning. That's how much he cares for you. That's how much he is concerned about you being right with God and having a relationship with him. And he knew that the problem of your sin and mine is so deep that there is no other way to make things right. If God goes to those lengths to deal with your sin and mine, you can be confident 
that his sacrifice is enough. It's enough to cover any and every sin that you have done and that you will do in the future. One sacrifice for all. Jesus' sacrifice is the real thing. It's forever and it is willingly given for our sakes. Then in our last section in verses 11 to 18, the writer brings things together to show that what Jesus did was the work of a saviour promised in the pages of the Old Testament, promised from the very beginning. It was the perfect work of the Messiah. And there are three things about Jesus' work that that the author brings out in this passage. And we'll look at them briefly one by one. That the work is now finished. Jesus' work is now finished. Secondly, even though it's finished, there's a final end that we're still waiting for. And then thirdly, that Jesus' coming and his sacrifice for us are the high point, the climax of all history. So firstly, Jesus' finished work. Again, the author wants us to see the contrast, the difference between the old system, which was a shadow, and the real thing. As we've seen before, the animals in the sacrifice, the tabernacle had to be sacrificed once a year, year after year. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But then in contrast, Jesus only sacrificed his body once. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father, of God. The old priests were always standing because their job was never finished. But Jesus sat down at his Father's side because... He had finished his work. There was nothing left to do. Sin has been paid for once and for all. Now in the old days when this letter to the Hebrews was written, most people, when they worked, were standing up. Um, The priests did, as we just saw, but uh, most people were farmers or manual labourers or craftsmen and their work time was spent on their feet. Standing up, walking around, doing stuff. And they didn't sit until they'd finished, until they'd finished the work day. Like we sit down on the lounge to watch Netflix to relax of an evening. They sat down when their work was done. And so Jesus sat at his father's side because his work was finished. Sin for every human being who will ever live has been totally paid for. Now I think for most of us this isn't something new, is it? Uh, We we know that, don't we? Uh, If we've been a Christian, uh, especially if we've been a Christian for a while, at least we know it in our heads. But often as believers we still live as if Jesus hasn't quite finished the job. We understand that we've been saved by grace, totally by Jesus' sacrifice. But then we sometimes think that we have to live the Christian life by works. That we kind of have to, Jesus has done his bit, that we kind of have to chip in with our bit. 
We know we're forgiven by Jesus' death, but then we think that we have to kind of somehow stay in God's good books by being obedient. And that when we stuff up, which we often do, we somehow need to make it right. We need to make it up to God. In other words, that we need to add something to what Jesus has done. But this message is that Jesus' sacrifice is everything we need, not only to be forgiven at the point that I become a Christian, but everything we need to stay forgiven and to stay in relationship with God for the rest of my life. Nothing can change that. Jesus' work is finished and Jesus' work is enough. We don't need to add to it. And because Jesus' work is finished, he has also won the victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness in this world. That's assured, that's past tense. But there's still a future aspect to that victory that we are still waiting for, and that's part B. The perfect work of the Messiah. We, sorry, we are still waiting for the end. We are still waiting for the end. It says it in verse 13. Since that time, time that Jesus died for us, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. The victory over these enemies, Satan, death, spiritual powers of darkness, has been won, past tense. But the mopping up operation continues. It's not yet finished. But one day Jesus will return and then the end will come. That's the point when these enemies will be completely defeated. That's the point when everything will be made right. We sometimes describe this as the now but not yet of living the Christian life. We now enjoy forgiveness and a totally restored relationship with God. But still we live in a world affected by sin and death and evil and so there are things we don't yet have. But one day we will have in their fullness. That reality is described in the passage in verse 14. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Can you see the two realities in that verse? The now but the not yet. Jesus' sacrifice, by Jesus' sacrifice we have already been made perfect. That's past tense. Now that can take a bit of getting our heads around, can't it? You may look at me and say, wait a minute, Marshall, you're not perfect. You're not even close. And you're absolutely right. Just ask my wife. And looking at ourselves, every one of us, I'm sure, thinks the same thing. Looking at ourselves, I don't think any one of us would claim to be anywhere near perfect. But what this is describing isn't the way that we act and show ourselves in our everyday lives. What this is describing is how God sees us. Because of Jesus' blood, our position before God is that now we are without sin. Now God sees us as, perfect, as if we were perfect. 
It's like a legal status. That's the now bit. That's our position before God. That's our identity. But of course, as we've just seen, that's not our lived experience, is it? We don't experience being perfect in this world. And that's the not yet part. We don't experience perfection until the new creation, until Jesus returns. And we'll continue to battle with our weakness and with our sin every day until then. But even though that's our lived experience, that this life is full of pain and struggle, we hurt others and we get hurt, we get sick and we die. Jesus' finished work means that there is another chapter to our story. And friends, that's the Christian hope, isn't it? The knowledge that a time is coming, we don't know when, when Jesus will return and all things will be made right. All pain and suffering will end. We will finally experience wholeness. We will become what we already are. We will become what we already are. So Jesus has finished his work when he sacrificed his own body. And we are still awaiting the completion of that. And then the third thing the author tells us in this passage is that Jesus' work, the perfect work of the Messiah, is the climax of history. It's where history has always been heading. And he tells us that by the way he wants us to know that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. We've already seen that, haven't we, through Hebrews, how the Old Testament uh, the, the law of Moses and the tabernacle and the priests and the sacrifices are all pointing towards Jesus. But what we haven't looked at before, and Hebrews is full of this as well, is the way that so much of the Old Testament, the rest of the Old Testament, points towards Jesus. It's like a giant signpost that shows us that the final destination is still coming. It tells us that the Old Testament story doesn't end with itself. This letter to the Hebrew church is full of quotes from Old Testament passages showing how the Old Testament is writing about Jesus. And today's passage is no exception. We've already noted that Psalm 40 is quoted in this passage. Psalm 40 says that is a psalm written by King David. But the author of Hebrews takes David's words and says that they are actually the words of Jesus at the same time. Look again at verse 5, quoting from Psalm 40. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. So even though David was talking about himself, God intended it to be a prophecy about Jesus. And we know that God did actually prepare a body for Jesus. That's talking about when he came to earth as a man. It's what we celebrate now at this time of the year, isn't it? It's the Christmas story. God coming to earth as a baby and then grew up to be a man in Jesus 
The other Old Testament passage that this chapter quotes from is Jeremiah 31. And we see that in, in, chapter, in verse 16. This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Jeremiah 31 is one of the great turning points in the Old Testament. Up until that time, the prophet Jeremiah was full of gloom and doom, full of judgment and bad news for God's people because they had been so rebellious against God. But in this passage, God tells the people good news. He is going to make a new covenant with them and give them new hearts and new minds. But by the end of the Old Testament, the people are still waiting for the fulfilment of that promise. And the whole Old Testament, as we said, is like a signpost pointing towards the future. The people knew that the climax was coming, but it hadn't yet arrived. But of course now it has in Jesus. But so what? You may be thinking, well, that's all very nice, but so what? Why all this Old Testament stuff? We know that Jesus is the real thing, he's already come. Why do we need this history lesson? The point is this. It reminds us that Jesus isn't a kind of plan B. It wasn't God's afterthought when the tabernacle and the animal sacrifices didn't work. Because Jesus was always the end goal. Right from Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, he was always the end of the story. This is always where history was headed. This was always the climax of the drama of the story of the Bible. And this plan for him to die as a sacrifice isn't some nice little add-on for us to take on board to improve our lives. It's the whole point of human history. What Jesus achieved on the cross, a holy God being able to live with an unholy people, that's what is at the centre of, of the human story. That's the end goal. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Nothing is more important. I want to finish off with one crucial implication of that. And it may not be the first thing that comes to mind when we think of applying this passage. But if this rescue project by Jesus is at the centre of our purpose and existence as individuals and as a church, then participating in this project, being God's agents in telling the world about this message, ought to be central to what we do as individuals and as a church. That's what we call mission, isn't it? We are called to be in mission. We are called as a church to have mission as central to our calling. And that means both here in our backyard with our neighbours, with our friends, with our family and also globally. It's what Chandai it's what John and Beck, it's what the Kiats, it's what Jamin, 
are all involved with. And there's no better time to think about that mission than at Christmas. We have been blessed beyond words by having been forgiven by the great once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. His willing sacrifice that washes us clean forever so that we can now stand in God's presence without guilt and shame. Surely the best response we can have, the most fitting way that we can show gratitude to God is to want others to hear of what Jesus has done for all people, to want our family, friends, colleagues, neighbours to be freed from the burden of sin and to find what we have found, to know that that's what actually Christmas is all about. Let's pray and I'll get the band up as we do that. Father God, we thank you so much for this, this mission uh, that, we, that we hear about, uh, this mission of declaring, uh, de- declaring the news of the, of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Thank you so much that we are the beneficiaries of that sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we are the beneficiaries of the climax of history as we now know forgiveness complete forgiveness, permanent forgiveness by the blood of Jesus. And we pray that we might respond in thanksgiving, that we might respond by wanting others to hear that as well. And in his name we pray. Amen.